Welcome back, folks. Welcome to the O Show. Happy Tuesday, everybody. We got Matty O on the line, or should I say Uncle O. What's up? <laughs> For those of you who don't know, Uncle O here stayed up till like three in the morning to watch, I guess not watch, but to hear about the birth of his newest niece or nephew. Niece. All right. What's her name? Uh, Evelyn. Evelyn. Beautiful name. Meanwhile, earlier in the day, we had one of the most legendary national championship games that I can remember, and we we want to dive into that. We also want to dive into the Auburn-Virginia game as well, but here's what I really wanted to start with. Matteo, I texted you right before the Elite Eight games, and... I said, maybe on the pod, we should discuss how to fix the NCAA tournament. And needless to say, I was immensely wrong that there needed to be any fixing whatsoever. (laughs) Yeah, it was just, uh, I mean, it just saved all the excitement for the end. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, typically, typically all the excitement is in those first couple games because there's upsets everywhere. And this was not the case. We had, you know, a lot of strong teams move to the Sweet 16. And then things started to get really, really dicey. Yeah. I mean, I think Oregon was the only double-digit seed that even made it to the Sweet 16. And they really only made it because in the second round, they were playing another double-digit seed. So, (laughs) (laughs) they, you know, it was the only way they could get in. I mean, those were good games. Let's... Let's just dive right in, though. We got Auburn versus Virginia. Um, lots lots of craziness at the end. But let's talk about Virginia squandering, I think, a 10-point lead in that game just so Auburn could go up, what, 62-60 to 60 in the, like, final play? Yeah, something like that. Like, Auburn is a weird team because they, they're almost like the Golden State Warriors of the NCAA where they – just like launch threes by volume. And I mean, they're just hoping that, you know, even though they're missing a lot of threes, like the fact that they're making more and the fact that their buckets are going to be worth one more point than yours, like they kind of rely on that. And that's kind of what allowed them to get back into the game against Virginia. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, you can feel, you can feel the Steph Curry effect in these games. I mean, these guys are, I mean, Texas Tech was doing the same thing last night. They are, they're down and they're just launching threes. And it's pretty incredible to watch a completely stagnant play turn into a pretty contested three-point shot and things go in. I mean, with the Auburn-Virginia game, so we got to talk about, we got to talk about Ty Jerome's uncalled double dribble. I yeah, that was – go ahead. That was the that was the first, like, controversial call, although I don't think the second one was controversial at all. But we'll get to that. But, like, um, I mean, the first one, it was – it would have been so hard to, like, catch that as a ref. I think as a fan, you have to – you know, I've gotten mad at referees before when stuff is completely obvious. I mean, just like the uh, – 
that blown pass interference with the Saints this past uh, NFL playoffs, but where yeah. something's like so obvious. But I mean, I think the thing that, or the reason why I'm not really bothered by that no call is because, like, I watched the post game and they had, I think Gene Steratore, like their uh, their sideline referee. Yeah, he used to be a referee in the NFL and for basketball, but he's retired now. So they get his opinion on controversial calls and stuff. And I mean, he asked the, it was uh, Charles Barkley, Kenny Smith and uh, Clark Kellogg, I think who are all, you know, basketball player or former basketball players. And he asked them, you know, like, did any of you guys think it was the double dribble? And none of them did. Like, none of them even noticed it. So <laughs> that would have been, like, a really harsh – like, at the same time, I mean, had they called that, like, we would have been saying something to the effect of, oh, man, you can't call it in that kind of situation, or that was, like, such a ticky-tack foul and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, we're we're quick to throw the reps under the bus. I I agree. I mean – so I watched that game. I didn't even recognize that that's what happened. I don't think as the play was going on, it wasn't until they slow mowed it, right? And they noticed it bounced off his heel and stuff like that. But I have to give actually some mad props to Bruce Pearl basically coming out like the day after the game saying, you know, coaches make mistakes, kids, players make mistakes. He's like, and refs make mistakes. And he's like, but you just got to get over it. Like it's going to go your way and it's not going to go your way sometimes. And I, I mean, I got mad respect for someone who on the heels of a one point nail biter can just kind of get up and say, whatever, it didn't go my way this time. So, you know, Ty Jerome dribbles down. Obviously he gets to your guy, Kyle guy over in the corner he gets fouled on a three-pointer. Um, what did you think going into those free throws? you think he was going to make all of them? I haven't really been following, like, Virginia that closely this year, so I don't really know how great of a free throw shooter he was, but he is, like, their main scorer when they need a bucket. So, I mean, I don't know. I felt like in that situation the pressure wasn't as bad just because they were only down by two. So you had one shot to – Kind of, I mean, I don't want to say throw away, but one shot you could miss and you'd still, you know, at least go into overtime. So it wasn't like you have to make all three of them. But, I mean, that was pretty, like, that was pretty stone cold right there. <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean, that's the game right there. If you make all three of those, the game's over. Yeah, 100%. He, I mean... I saw, you know, they're posting like 82% free throw shooter, stuff like that. I mean, that's not horrible. It's not great. But for him to walk up, they got only Texas Tech guys, or sorry, not Texas Tech, Auburn guys standing around and just cold-heartedly sink all three, like not even a question. I mean, that was – Yeah, like – well, like the only two people I've ever seen in my life that I would say like – you know, if they were approaching a free a free throw, I would say I would bet everything on them. Only two guys, and the two are J.J. Redick and Ray Allen. Like, they were just automatic. And their percentages were up at, I mean, they were something stupid, like nine, like 98%. And so this dude's down in the 80s, 
and he's going to make all three of them. He's, I don't know what year he was, but regardless, he's at least under 22. And you got like, I mean, it's just you up there and it's up to you. (laughs) So Kyle guy, I think another great moment is after the game. He said, <laughs> he said, when I shot that three, I thought it was going to go in, like, regardless of the foul. Like, you could see him, like, shake his head after he missed it because he thought he was good regardless. And that's some confidence right there. I mean, I don't know if he played his way, like, through the Final Four game and the championship game onto an NBA roster, but he's got the name to be in the NBA, you know. Everyone's going to love having Guy on your team. Yeah, he's he's the guy. <laughs> no, I mean he'll. I don't know. Maybe he could be like a like a bench three point shooter when you like sort of like a Kyle Korver like where you know you put him in for you know ten minutes when you need an offensive boost and he gets you like two or three threes. Yeah, hundred percent. He's gonna have to be just like run off the ball screen, kind of shooting up threes. He plays for. 15 minutes a game and he could either walk away with like 20 points or five points. You know what I mean? Yeah. The other game, Michigan state and Texas tech. Oh, you know what? You know what we need to cover though? Sorry. I skipped a little bit ahead. We got to talk about the over under for that Auburn versus Virginia game. So- yeah. That was uh well, they were taught like Kenny and Charles were talking about it. Like it's the, one of the only I mean, the drama was great, but one bad part about especially the final four games and like the first half of the championship game was it was kind of hard to tell whether it was just really great defense or really bad offense because their teams would go through stretches where they would literally go eight plus minutes without scoring a single bucket. Yeah, I think it was I think it was telling in the championship game when they took the 16 minute timeout in the first half and it was three to two and Texas tech was zero for five on field goals and they were winning by a point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was feeling good about my six to four prediction, but then, <laughs> <laughs> but so the over under for Auburn and Virginia was one thirty one, which was uh, pretty highly under, I think that dragged down the championship game over under because it was 118 or 119 depending on uh what betting sites you were looking at yeah which is just stupid low because it's basically i mean you're looking at basically a 60 to 59 game which is (laughs) ridiculous (laughs) yeah but i mean it speaks to i guess the belief of the either you're right the texas tech and virginia defense or it speaks to these guys aren't going to have good offense (laughs) yeah and it's kind of I mean it's sort of a product too of the one and done era I mean even back when you could go from high school just the fact that I mean like the really good players aren't going to be sticking around you know like I remember back in you know back in the day like teams the teams that got to the final four were just stacked with not just talent, but like junior and senior talent yeah. that were going to be actually drafted. But now, I mean, you got like, like Culver obviously was a big part of um, Texas Tech's run, but he's going to be gone. So 
I mean, Texas Tech isn't exactly a recruiting hotbed for basketball, so I would expect them to kind of deteriorate like the next couple of years unless they find somebody to replace them. But, like, that's kind of the reason why is that you only get – if you're a really good player, you only get one year of building chemistry with your guys and then you're gone. Yeah, 100%. I mean, speaking of Texas Tech, you know, they built their team, I'm pretty sure, with a, a couple, like, red shirt seniors and Culver, who just, you know, kind of jumped to the next level. They posted a lot. You know, he averaged nine points his freshman year and, like, 18.3 here in his sophomore year. And without that, it would have been, like, they would have been just not even close to anywhere that they were. And Culver was one of those, like, he's from Lubbock, Texas. I mean, he was like a hometown guy. Not a lot of people are traveling to play at Texas Tech. Not even Texas Tech fans even realize they have a basketball team, I'm pretty sure. But, I mean, you know, Chris Beard put it together. And, I mean, he showed his worth. I'll be curious to see if he sticks around at Texas Tech or if he's going to, I mean, maybe not this year, but if he's going to try to chase other more uh, highly touted jobs, I suppose. Yeah. You know, you watch the NBA and it's just so much like faster and just better than any quality of NCAA basketball. And that's just because like all the good players are in the NBA. Like imagine if, you know, players had to stay even for three years. Like imagine, like you think about all the players that have been drafted high recently. Imagine, you know, uh, Duke Kentucky final this year with just <laughs> I mean those teams would be just loaded it would actually look sort of like an NBA game and there would actually be pretty good offense and not just kind of the stagnant stuff that we saw recently yeah and I mean I wonder if that has to do as well with the the three-point line of the NBA being a little bit further back you know all these college players are crowding on that line. And while like, they're still trying to hit these threes, they're still like a couple feet closer in places. And so you can just see like, there's no place to like dribble kick out sometimes because of how close everyone is all put together. Um, And just like the types of defensive sets. I mean, I can't, I can't even imagine like people in the NBA trying some of these defensive sets that Virginia and Texas Tech were using last night. Yeah, and also, I mean, like pro players will probably never admit it, but defense is a lot about just effort and quickness. And in college, you know, you're all about school pride and your coaches kind of ride you a lot more. I mean, like when you watch that game, they their defenses, particularly uh, Virginia's and Texas Tech's, like, Every player was playing every possession, like max effort. I mean, you watch the NBA, even like the playoffs, and, you know, you're going to see some players kind of kind of take it a little bit easier on the defensive end. But that's just kind of how the game is. Yeah, I mean, with the scheduling for the NBA playing an 82-game regular season and you hope, you know, playing well deep into the playoffs – it's impossible to give the same kind of defensive effort every night 
considering these university teams are playing maybe 40 games throughout the entirety of the year. Yeah. And I mean, in college, if you don't hustle, like you're going to get replaced. If you're, you know, James Harden and you don't try hard at defense, like who cares? What are you going to do? Like bench me? (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Totally. We got a little sidetrack there. I want to, I want to say one thing about Michigan state versus Texas tech, and then we can move on to just the championship game. I want to give Culver a lot of, props as well in this Michigan State versus Texas Tech game and I mean the championship game he stunk both first halves really of both these games um but he you know he came back to make a difference I mean in the text in the Michigan State TT game he like hit that big three and you know he showed up at the end and very much in the championship game as well I thought he had it in the bag after he pulled that shifty spin move to the left off the glass. Um, I don't know what he did for his NBA prospects. I know that they kept posting down below, like number five NBA prospect for the upcoming draft. I mean, I hope he just gets a lot of reps in the NBA. I think that's the only way that he's going to develop more skills. It's like very obvious that him shooting off the dribble or like shooting from three is just not his forte right now. Um, But that's a whole different story. Why don't we move on to Virginia versus Texas tech? As I kind of said earlier, the over under was 118. So they obviously surpassed that they did surpass it in, you know, the regular part of the game, not in the overtime. Um, Virginia was favorite by 1.5 points, so they covered. Um, the first half, the first half was was ugly to say the least. What do you think? Yeah, it was. Uh, I expected like both teams are obviously really good defensively, and apart from Culver, I mean, neither team really has that kind of like one slashing guy that can kind of create opportunities for other people. Like they don't have a Zion or an RJ Barrett or anything. So they kind of, they actually have to run an offense (laughs) (laughs) to uh, score. And yeah, that, I mean, it takes a while. So Virginia used the shot clock. They pretty much always use almost all the shot clock. So it works for them, but aesthetically it is kind of boring to watch. Like I remember when I was like when I was watching the Virginia and Auburn game, when Auburn would shoot and miss, and Virginia would come down with a rebound, like I could take I I treated it as like a timeout. Like I'd take a bathroom break. I could go get like another beer, like because nothing's gonna happen for the next twenty seconds. <laughs> and then they're gonna go into their offense and probably score. <laughs> yeah. So it was. I feel like that there was a lot of jitters on both sides, which is probably why they started so slow. And I think both teams really, really leaned into their defensive mindset of like, this is who we are. Like we're a defensive stopping team, which, you know, going into half 32 to 29, I believe it was like actually like relatively okay score. It just looked like there for a second, like you said, your six to four Virginia was almost right for a little while. 
Yep, feeling good. <laughs> yeah. So we came to a a really good discovery last night too. That uh, since I was watching this in good old Canada, I actually had different announcers than you. I had Dick Vitale and someone else. I missed when they like told me who it was. And then you had who? Who did you have? Who did you listen to? I had uh, Jim Nance. Uh, Grant Hill and the Onion guy, <laughs> <laughs> and nothing. I mean, I was pretty jealous. I I thought that, you know, I love the Onions guy. I literally don't know his name other than he yells Onions whenever we want. <laughs> um, but you know, I tell you what, Dick Vitale would have done really, really well with the old Onions man because every time, uh, more Morietti or Moretti on Texas Tech made a play, Dick Vitale just started screaming like, Linguini, spaghetti, the macaroni, like every play. And just because this guy's Italian, and I was like, (laughs) this is like borderline stereotypical. Like, I'm not sure what to think about this, but. Dick Vitale, you know, however old he is, he's just leaning right into his ridiculousness. And it it kind of worked out. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's he's old. He just, you know, you kind of just let him go at that point. Yeah, the guy <laughs> working with him just, like, was speechless as he's yelling just types of pastas, he knows. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it's up there, though, with just, some great commentary which why you know it's enjoyable to to listen to these guys sometimes so in the second half of this game things started to unravel a little bit for texas tech um i think they immediately got down by like nine or ten points starting the second half they built their way back um kind of in classic texas tech fashion for at least this NCAA tournament. Um, And also in classic Virginia fashion of giving up like a 10 point lead. But yeah. Yeah. Virginia is pretty much gone down to the wire in almost every single one of their games. Yeah. And that's something that I, so I went back and just thought about their Virginia's elite eight game against Purdue their game against Auburn, and then this game. I mean, in the Elite Eight game, they hit the shot at the end of regulation to make it 70-70. to 70, And it it was an open shot, like I'll give you that. But, like, you know, game's on the line, hit the open shot, go to OT, win there, go against Auburn in the next round, go down – then get fouled on the final shot, sink all three free throws, win that game. And then in this game, Ty Jerome drives when they're down by three points. He drives straight to the basket. Four Texas Tech guys are collapsing on him because it looks like, oh, he's going for the quick bucket here. And when he passed out to DeAndre Hunter, I was screaming at the TV, like, no, no, like, I cannot believe, because I knew, like, I mean, that guy was so wide open, and he just sinks the time bucket right then and there, 
no problem. You know, what are you going to do? <laughs> well, you're going to stay with your man and make him take the two-pointer. That's what you should have done. It's harder to do because, like, everyone wants to make that, that you know, key stop and you get four people going to the ball and then kaboom. <laughs> How about the the wherewithal, though, of Ty Jerome to just drive quickly enough to drag that defense in so that he could kick it out to, of course, like the guy who should have had the ball in his hand anyway in Hunter. I mean, yeah, I mean, they should have. That was one thing that was really weird is like Hunter was kind of invisible for most of Virginia's games in the tournament. And he's supposed to be a lottery pick and he's supposed to be, you know, or maybe not a lottery pick, but he's supposed to get drafted supposed to be really good and I did like I mean Kyle Guy and uh, Jerome both outplayed him yeah I mean looking back on this game though I think he had something like 27 points and nine rebounds it seems like a very quiet 27 points but I mean he hit the biggest yeah. shot yeah that's true <laughs> so you know Hunter hits this whatever they go down uh they can't I think it would have been must have been 65 to 65 or 63 to 63 go down Culver does his thing ends up you know Texas Tech has the last the last shot with the one second after what I thought was going to be like oh man this game is going to end on the blooper that Kyle Guy had where the uh, Virginia player got the rebound and passed it to him while he was like looking at the ref to call the timeout. Oh yeah, that was ridiculous. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is it right here. Um, and then of course, like Culver blocked. I mean, they didn't. I they didn't call a foul. I don't think that they should have called a foul. But I mean, those refs were letting them play a lot of contact, at least on that play. Yeah. Well, throughout. Like, throughout the night, they were. They were pretty – the rest were pretty loose in that game. Yeah, they – I mean, I don't think they blew the whistle for the first, like, three, three and a half minutes of the game. They were just letting them go. I mean, that's fine because all coaches really want is consistency. So, I mean, if you're not going to call it at the start, then don't call it at the end. And, you know, they didn't, and it's all good. Yeah, so they don't call it. And I think, you know, again, it's fine. Like, he blocked the ball first. So – they go into OT. Texas Tech Mooney like shows up for the first time all game, scores the first five points for Texas Tech. And, you know, it looks like again that they got in the bag. And then I don't I mean, I don't know if there's such thing as like fate or destiny or God or whatever, but Virginia, I swear, just like kept getting things that kept them in the game. Like Kyle guy either tripped on himself or tripped on his own player. He goes down, they call a foul. Of course, you know, he nails the free throws because that's all we're going to ever know about him from here on out. And then the other call is the Moretti is chasing down the ball and Hunter hits it out of his hand. And they like, they're slow motion zooming in on this thing. And they're like, oh, you know, it looked like it could have grazed his fingertip. And I was, 
I was sitting there thinking, there's no way this is Texas Tech ball. At this point, they were down by one. And then they reversed it. And I was, I, I couldn't believe it. And I'm, it's God was on, God is a Virginia fan, clearly, because you can't, you can't write like a story like this. You know what I mean? Especially to go from that loss last year to, winning the national title this year like that's just crazy (laughs) yeah i mean they they basically wrote the best new sports movie of all time like when it comes out like 20 25 years from now like everyone is gonna know exactly exactly what's talking about i mean it like wrote itself and i just i don't i don't even know what to think like i was rooting for texas tech but at the same time i'm like this was just destiny. Like these guys, these, these guys were just destined to win. I don't even, I'm like, I'm at a loss for words right now, which stinks because I'm on a podcast, but it's, it was just incredible. I, I feel for the Texas tech guys. Like they played a great game at the same time though, Virginia, man, like, that's the storybook ending right there for all of those players. Yeah. I mean, if I was Tony Bennett, I would just retire. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I, I'm not even making this up, too. I don't know how much on your broadcast. They kept showing Tony Bennett's dad, too, like, in the stands. He was, like, he was too nervous to go to the, fi- the Final Four game, and he finally showed up to this one. And I guess Tony Bennett's dad had, like, led a team to the final four, but like never won the championship. I mean, you like literally like this is written for Hollywood. Like there's so many storylines, like so many, I can't even believe that how they all lined up. That's the tournament March madness. Yeah. March madness just obviously just reinvigorated my love for basketball. I was in like a, a rut for basketball. And then on Saturday and last night, I was just like, we're back. Like, I cannot wait for the NBA playoffs now. Like, this was so exciting. I I don't even know what to do. I'm giddy with emotion. Just when hockey starts tomorrow. Too. <laughs> <laughs> I might even go learn something about hockey because just sports, man. Oh, it's a, it's a freaking <laughs> beautiful, beautiful thing. And I hope that I get to pen the script for this uh, Virginia movie. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who I don't know who could play Tony Bennett right now, but it'd have to be a pretty handsome dude because Tony Bennett's a pretty handsome guy. He is a handsome guy. <laughs> yeah, and did you see just like the stoicism he had throughout the entirety of the game? I mean, there's seventy thousand people cheering on every single play, whether it's like good or bad for which side, and he's just standing there poised. Not even, not even like batting an eye, just ready to make the play, ready to make the right calls and just go to work. I bet, I bet he didn't even celebrate last night. I bet he went to bed at like midnight and he was like, oh, that was pretty fun. Back to work tomorrow. <laughs> Getting ready for next yeah. year. <laughs> he's like, he's like, hey guys, like, you know, you got class this week too. Don't celebrate too hard. Yeah, well, they better get ready because U of I is oh. coming. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I the the Texas Tech team really actually reminded me a lot of a lot of those like oh four oh five 
Illini teams that were like good, but like I feel like you're kind of right. Like Texas Tech, they might just this might be the year, and they should celebrate it. But like you know, I don't know if they'll ever come back this far. You never know though, because like programs rise and fall all the time because you know they made the elite eight last year, and obviously making it far into the tournament, you get a lot more exposure. So. If that coach stays there and tries to build something there, then, you know, recruits might start going there. Like, it's kind of – it's always weird to me to see how, like, traditional power teams change throughout the years. I mean, when – back in the early 2000s, it was was a lock that Arizona and UCLA would be in the NCAA tournament. And now they're, like, completely – they're almost irrelevant. Like, people – like I saw earlier that Rick Barnes passed on UCLA too. Like no one even wants to go there anymore, which is insane. Yeah. I mean, someone will, you know, have to go there. I actually think they might've hired someone today, but I didn't really catch who it was, but they're definitely kind of on the, on the fall right now. But the funny thing about those programs is every year when we're doing like top 25, like top 50 going into next year, like UCLA is always at least in the top 50. Everyone believes that like, it'll be the year. Eventually it has to come back into fruition, right? Like they can't all bad. Maybe. <laughs> what you say? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. You know, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I guess a storied, you know, program though, it's tough to see them not figuring it out, but. I guess it remains to be seen. So my question is now going into next year, like, are you hopping on the Virginia band, like bandwagon? You're all in. They're going to be ACC champions. Are you, what, where are you at? Um, well, I mean, they're, I guess they're projected to win. Like they're the favorites to win the national title next year, which I mean, I think is a little bit, uh, a little bit too high just because, I mean, Hunter's probably going to be gone. And as good as a system that they run, I mean, they have to make it through the ACC. And even though Duke's losing its recruits, it's going to bring in a fresh new class. Kentucky's going to be there with their recruits. Like, everyone's just going to reload. The fact that they had their past three games came down, like, so close. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to – it's just the NCAA tournament is just so random. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I still don't – even though they won it, I still don't think that Virginia was the best team in the country this year. I still say it was Duke. Like, if I was to – if I was to choose a team that I would want to play for my life this year in college (laughs) basketball, I would choose a healthy Duke squad, (laughs) and we would win by 34 points. (laughs) But all it took was just that one that one day against Michigan State, and they're gone. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the the best and the worst part about the tournament, I suppose, that there's a lot of memorable teams out there that, you know, didn't win in March Madness. And then there's lots of teams that you're going back and you're thinking – which which team won that year? Like, and who was on that team? Um, that's the beauty of it, though. I mean, it's kind of an amalgamation of 
what we want in sports where we kind of get some new people, but you always have the big dogs in the fight too with your Duke and UNC and Kentucky and those kind of programs. I think Virginia, I think they'll be okay. Uh, I think they're going to lose, you know, quite a few of their players though. And like you said, I mean, Duke and UNC, they just, they just reload every year with just the top players year after year. And I don't know if that's fun for like Roy Williams or Mike Krzyzewski, but at least they know that they're going to be good every year. They kind of just have to, you kind of have to do it now. Like it's, it's sort of like an adapt or die kind of thing because I know that Coach K used to not do that. Like his Duke teams used to be just stacked with juniors and seniors. But once Coach – or not not Coach K. Uh, once Calipari went to – particularly when he went to Kentucky because, yeah, he got Derrick Rose at Memphis. But when he went to Kentucky, big brand basketball school, and he started just bringing in all the talented freshmen there. I mean, if you're another top program in the country, you're just – because Calipari – some of his teams, he would put out five, like NBA ready players, yeah. and you were gonna, and you were gonna come at his squad with, you know, juniors and seniors that probably wouldn't even make an NBA bench. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you can think about like when you think about Anthony Davis now, and you're thinking to yourself, that man just played one year at Kentucky and won the national championship almost not on his own, but like you see him in the NBA and he's the only player on his team. Sometimes you're like, of course, of course they won. Like they, there's no choice. Yeah. Kentucky really started that whole arms race though, because you just think about all the like, all of the one and dones that came out of Kentucky, it's just, it's almost stupid to think about. Like with, yeah, John Wall, um, Anthony Davis, Carl Anthony Towns, Devin Booker. Um, I'm probably missing is, like a yeah, ton. Is Demarcus <laughs> Cousins was he one and done? Oh yeah, yeah, Demarcus. Yeah, Cousins. Jamal Murray was there. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. Oh, Eric Bledsoe went there. I think he played more than one year, but like we just named what seven to eight NBA players. <laughs> yeah. Uh, De'Aaron Fox yep. is playing for the Kings now. <laughs> yeah. So like, honestly, the fact that Calipari, I think he's only won two or three. Uh, well, the fact that he hasn't won like five national titles at Kentucky is kind of crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can say the same about coach K though. I mean, I don't, I don't know what he's kind of doing. He, I mean, I still think this year, like, I don't think he even really coached the team. I think he just was like, all right, I got the best players. Let's see what they can do with it. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, he, he has also had a lot of really good people. He had Jabari Parker, Kyrie, uh, Jason Tatum. Uh, I think those might have been, like, apart from this year, those might have been, like, the real super superstar freshman he's had. He's obviously had good you know, senior players like J.J. Redick and stuff. Yeah, but. I think he had Tyus Jones, too, or, yeah. But this year, I mean, let's let's just talk about the draft for a little bit. We all know Zion's going number one, and if he doesn't, 
that will literally go down as the greatest mistake ever in an NBA draft, like surpassing all the other crazy mistakes people have made. That will 100% be the craziest mistake if he doesn't go number one. But after that, I got to admit, like, R.J. Barrett and Cam Reddish certainly dropped. um, But they're still going to be – I would be shocked if, like, R.J. Barrett and – well, mostly Cam Reddish. Even if Cam Reddish didn't get picked in the top 10, I would be absolutely shocked. And they did – they had, you know, mediocre years. Yeah. I mean, I think those two are going to go – top five i think top five is going to be zion or i mean well the three duke guys um ja morant whose stock raised pretty high with the tournament because i honestly had not seen him play like an actual game i had just seen highlights and stuff of all his dunks and everything Mm. i mean he's a pretty good player (laughs) and obviously it's kind of hard to judge him because he plays at murray state so you don't really know like some of the bad plays that he makes, you don't know if it's because his teammates, if it's his teammates fault or his, but I mean, they smoked Marquette in the first game and even the game that they lost, uh, he still did pretty well. Uh, But it was just the fact that he is literally the only guy on the team. So, (laughs) yeah, I think. And then, and then the fifth spot will probably, I mean, I'm sure there's, I don't keep up with it, but I'm sure there's some, like international dynamo out there right i mean right now they're you know saying that culver is the number five prospect but they also got hunter as number six so i feel like those two guys just dueling in that game you know it might help hunter and hurt culver a little bit but i mean it kind of falls off from the top five like in my opinion yeah i mean it does a lot of times with the nba draft though like you have Maybe if you get in the top five, you can find a franchise player. But apart from that, you have to get like extremely, extremely lucky. Yeah, because there are those few that have dropped to kind of like after 10 and in the teens. Um, But a lot of the time, yeah, it's just it's like they're good players. Like Donovan Mitchell's one. Like we can talk about Giannis all we want. But Giannis is a different story because he was like super skinny, kind of unknown from – the international play and he got like two or three inches taller like there are all those players of course but i mean i think whoever drafts cam reddish i think i'm not gonna say he's gonna be like a wild bust or anything like that i just think that he'll turn out to be like a pretty average like 10-year player for a like a few different teams i think he'll get traded around a lot it's just so hard to project, though. Yeah, totally. Well, we kind of we kind of wrapped that up. I mean, I still have so much pent up emotion. The half wife was yelling at me yesterday, like, "Why are you clapping and screaming at the TV?" And I was like, ah, "I just couldn't, I couldn't handle it." So uh, it was a pretty <laughs> legendary game. It's going to be on ESPN Classics in like a month. I can just tell. There's going to be a thirty for thirty in about a year. So prepare yourself for all that. That kind of wraps up our basketball talk for the day, but I got a little bit of an NSRR for us this week. You ready? I'm ready. All right. So 
my non-sports related rant comes with something that I've discovered in Canada that doesn't happen in my own home. And that's everyone in Canada takes off their shoes when they enter somebody else's house. Now, that sounds like a really, you know, nice thing to do. You're not tracking mud everywhere. But what ends up happening, right, is you go to like a party with like 20 or 25 people and you open the door to the house and you actually cannot open the door because everyone's boots and blundstones and like weird rock climbing shoes and all that stuff is just blocking the front door. And every time you got to do like that, like you got to push the door open and then take a step back outside and like push it again. You kind of have to like rampage your way inside. And I'm all here for people wearing their shoes inside other people's house. What in the world? (laughs) (laughs) Well, first of all, like taking off your shoes, that's like an Asian thing. (laughs) So like when Canadians get together, if they're like, if I was going, if someone was throwing like a, an apartment party and there's like 30 people there, and we're all boozing and everything. People are going to have their shoes off. Yeah, I'm telling you, everyone's going to have their shoes off. And it's like the polite thing to do, which I just don't think it's that polite because I can't enter your house. Like, I feel like if you're going over to someone's house, like for dinner or something, or if there's like eight or less people, then, yeah, it makes sense. But if you're at like a party and like, I'm not taking my shoes off. <laughs> this is something that I argue with the half-wife all the time about because i'm like i can never enter anybody's house because like i'm blocked by these shoes and then i took her uh down to texas this christmas and we got to my aunt's house and you know everyone just has their shoes on she couldn't even handle it she had to take her shoes off and like put them by the door that's like (laughs) canadians know that like closets exist right like you can put shoes not in the way (laughs) (laughs) i don't you know i don't i don't know if it's just we don't have the right type of closets near the door or anything but i'm telling you 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 come to canada i'll take you to a party and you can see the amount of shoes that are stacked by the door so like what would happen would you get uh kind of would you get actually called out if you were to go to someone's place and just leave your shoes on you know I have never tried this. I want to, you know, the half-wife would definitely whisper in my ear that I need to take my shoes off. I don't know if any other Canadian would though, because it seems like the impolite thing to do. And, you know, that's not really Canadian to be polite or sorry, to be impolite. Well, next time you go somewhere, like before you go, make sure you like cake your shoes in mud. (laughs) (laughs) And then once you get in, like immediately when you step in the door, just start running and stomping through the house. (laughs) (laughs) And then like do a couple laps like that and then come back and then take your shoes off. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I think that'll prove (laughs) the Canadian point of view more than it'll prove my point of view. But, you know, I can try it. I'll see how it goes. I might not have any friends after that, but. I don't know. It might, no, that's okay. Yeah, it might be worth that's it. Okay. I, I still got you. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, that's all it for our NSRR today. Mind you, if you're in America, it's okay to keep your shoes on when you enter other people's houses. Other than that, Matty O and I will be back 
next Tuesday. And we hope that you guys keep on listening. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.